you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. And you are most welcome. Mm. In this episode, we are taking one particularly intriguing case study as a way of focusing on a vital and fascinating topic, which is no less than the future of wine, and by extension, the future of our planet and our species. Well, when you put it like that, you know, even... Big stuff. Even I've sat up <laughs> to attention. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're talking sustainability. Um, I hesitate to use that term because I'm aware it tends to inspire everything from yawns to lethargy to eye-rolling, even sort of existential despair. Um, but you're right, you know, what we're really talking about is the way in which the world of wine is changing, um, particularly the way the wine is sold, uh, which is ultimately at the heart of things, because there'd be very little wine if it didn't sort of generate an income for its producers. And I think that's true. Um, and I think, I, I think it's sometimes tempting to think sustainability is a bit dull or depressing, mm. partly because we're so often presented with the gloomy side of it or the, mm. or the omens of doom. But we want, don't we, to flip this around and focus mm. on a more positive example, which yeah. is a UK wine retailer tailor going out on a limb, aiming to be carbon neutral by 2024, to have zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2028, and mm. to be net zero across the entire business and supply chain by 2040. Mm. This retailer wants, and I quote, to be the most sustainable, ethical and responsible wine retailer in the world. So big aims, <laughs> they I would say. big aims, aren't they? Um, and they belong to the Wine Society. Um, we got wind of these plans, which are quite recent, aren't they? Um, and so I went over to visit them at their HQ in Stevenage. And this was what CEO Steve Finland said over lunch. Without getting into the debate about whether or not climate change will reverse itself at some point in the future or whether or not actually, you know, it's all bunkum in terms of the science on it, the reality is we sell wine and wine is changing. It really is as simple as that and therefore we've got to adapt as well as, uh, as, well as vineyards. So I think it's so incredibly important that we talk about it. Nice to hear you had a good lunch. Never knowingly underlunched, are you? Some nice wines too. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Ooh, odd I bottle imagine. may have been sampled. Uh, that's all mm. I can say at this stage. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more on that shortly. Yep. A true professional that you are. It's all work. Mm. When will you believe me when I when I say this? <laughs> All in the cause, yeah. but no. I mean, I, I think we we think this move by the the wine society is incredibly important, don't we? Mm, and yeah, we're yeah. fascinated by how on earth they're going to manage mm. it, given wine is not the most eco friendly sector, yeah. is it? Mm. Um, yes, it's a natural product, but it takes a lot of intervention to produce the grapes and then to make the wine, and more importantly, it's then a heavy, bulky product to lug around the world, yeah. often with a fair yeah. bit of packaging to get rid of once it's drunk mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean we've actually had wine described on this show as and i quote the villain in the climate story haven't we we, we have that brings back memories didn't mm. we that was from um series three episode six yeah. i think wasn't it wine's alt format warriors battle climate change um <laughs> what a title what, snappy title what, that what wasn't it? snappier titles um I had to say the remark didn't go unchallenged as a contention, but it really was an eye-opening moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Rob Malin, I think, uh, from one in Rome. And, 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 and then to weigh that against the Wine Society's very ambitious aims, 
it's all most intriguing. Mm. You know, where, mm. where's, the, where's the truth? Where's the balance in all of this? Um, and, you know, there are obvious questions that come up. You know, can it really be done? If so, how can it be done? And, and what does the future of wine retail look like? Yeah, if and so? A, yeah, and of course, at the same time, it's, it's so important to be aware of greenwashing, where businesses use these green issues to sort of boost their image, mm, when in mm. reality, those businesses are still having a significantly, can't speak today, can I? <laughs> significantly negative impact on the planet. And, mm. um, you know, offsetting comes in for a lot of flack here, it doesn't does. it? Yeah, um, it does. Which is when you, obviously you pay for for example, to have trees planted to offset your environmental yeah, impact. Yeah, yeah. But Greenpeace describes offsetting as just PR guff to appeal to environmentally aware consumers. Mm, and mm. when actually what businesses should be doing, of course, is actively reducing their own environmental impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all really important stuff for us wine lovers, isn't it? Because ultimately, none of us will be able to buy our favourite wines if we don't get this kind of thing sorted. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, all of what we're, what we're discussing, what you just mentioned about greenwashing, you know, made my trip to the wine society that much more intriguing, um, you know, kind of to poke around behind the scenes sort of to get to grips mm. with what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, Ask well the right as, questions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, all the whys and the, and the hows. So I guess we probably should give a bit of background to the wine society itself, shouldn't yeah. we? Um, yeah. Because it's a bit unusual as a wine retailer. Mm. Um, how to describe it? It's effectively a big wine club, isn't it, really? Uh, you pay to be a so, member. I guess so, yeah. yeah. You pay to uh, be a member, yeah. It's not much. It's about 40 quid, isn't it? But you yeah. get £20 off your first order. So effectively, mm. it's about 20 quid. Yeah. Uh, and that's you in for life as a shareholder. Absolutely. And I think it started off, as I think I'm right in this, that as a way of getting rid of leftover wine after a, a big wine show, didn't it? it? That's exactly that right? right. Exactly right. It's, there's a noble origin story, if ever there was one, isn't there? <laughs> getting rid of leftover wine. We've all yeah. been there. Let's make a business out of it. Uh, no, so this was back in 18. 18- 1974, uh, there'd been some sort of international exhibitions, uh, but a whole load of Portuguese wine, uh, of all things, had been forgotten about and was left over in the cellars of the Royal Albert Hall. Hmm. Um, Didn't know the like Royal Albert Hall had some Random things. There we go. That Why would be, aren't there be a good trip, International it? exhibitions of wine at the Royal <laughs> Albert Hall. I'd, I'd be there in a shop. Yeah. Um, you know, the growers, apparently, the Portuguese growers, were very upset that their wines hadn't been tasted, understandably. Mm-hmm. Um, so to avert a diplomatic incident, a way had to be found to get these wines drunk and this initiative ended up evolving into the wine society fast forward 150 odd years and slightly different picture today now exactly and i quote the world's oldest member-owned community of wine lovers Mm. is how they describe themselves so it's intriguing in itself Uh, it used to be mail order but now it's largely uh, an online retailer um though of course they do have a shop at the HQ in Stevenage, which we both visited, haven't uh, we? we both we patronised. Um, and it's pretty sizable uh, in terms of business. Turnover the, the of, company as a whole. of the whole wine society, yeah. turnover of uh, 160 million, around active membership of 180,000. Um, apparently they sell 3,600 different wines from 27 mm. countries. But that slightly, that, that slightly unusual ownership structure is quite important, is it, in terms of what we're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. So this is not a company whose primary purpose is to generate profit or or serve external shareholders. You know, it exists for the benefit of its members. Mm. Um, Of course, you know, it has to wash its face, pay its staff and costs and and be, you know, sustainable financially. But its structure means profits can go back into the business, you know, and they can help, for example, keep prices low if that's what they want to do. And frankly, they often are quite, quite well priced their wines, aren't they? Mm. They don't just have to focus on the bottom dollar, which also tends to mean there's a big emphasis on sort of quality and, and the diversity of the wines. Absolutely. And it's worth noting on that note, 
that their buying team is one of the most experienced and and highly rated, I would say, in the business. Yeah. And they yeah. they claim more than 150 years of experience between them. Is that right? Mm. We don't want to be ageist about this, do you? Well, that's not being ageist. That's no, just, um, no, you know, not. between them. We won't go into individual cases then. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, have, they have got some younger buyers. They've got some very young well, buyers, yeah. Which makes that figure all the more eye-opening, I suppose. Yeah. If you compared that to other businesses, major wine businesses in the UK, especially mm. supermarkets, yeah. it wouldn't be anywhere near that, would it? But anyway, yeah. um, you know, I think, and you see that you see that experience in their range, don't you? Their range is is great. Their, their team, the value, they, the service known, yeah. is generally pretty highly rated in UK I think wine. It's very circles. highly rated. I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, the wine society generally tends to win strings of awards, doesn't it? In all all the wine retailer competitions in this country, including the Decanter Retailer Awards, which I chair. Yeah, but yeah. it's not just that; it's it's all, no. all across the board. But and, and in terms of sustainability, this this membership structure mm, yeah. means it it answers to its members, who are also, as you say, shareholders, mm. and they are presumably, as wine lovers, keen to see the wine society become more sustainable. Absolutely. Sorry. Yes, this is what you, you were asking about earlier, wasn't it? I didn't get. I didn't uh, didn't answer you directly. Um, <laughs> they say that they're aiming to be, and I quote, um, the go to retailer for wine that is better quality, better value, and better for the planet. Um, now, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of the hanging comparatives there. Classic ads. <laughs> what you call them? Whiter, whiter, whiter than what? Uh, but anyway, you get the general impression. Um, you know, and they're saying that their ownership structure is what enables them to get ahead of the game. In that sense, mm. um, what they're also saying is that the fact they're a wine business, ultimately founded or sort of rooted, if you like, in the agricultural sector also gives them great advantages in this sense mm, being okay. more sustainable. Okay, so intriguing. It sounds zero. yeah, intriguing. It d- it does sound like you you actually did manage to find some time outside of lunch of course <laughs> to to do some interviewing and and recording and, we, we and asking the questions. So so I would say why don't you set the scene for us? Okay. All right, sure. Good idea. Um so the Wine Society's HQ in Stevenage is I think they'll forgive me for saying it's not the most glamorous location. In the world, I agree. It's not. Uh, I almost see the opening scenes from the office, but I'm not sure if that's fair or neither of them. <laughs> well, uh, I'd probably take that. I'll, I'll paint, paint the picture. Can it's pretty worse. industrial. You know, it's warehouses, offices, lorries, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's also a bit of a building site. Uh, certainly was when I visited. They were finishing construction of Warehouse Five, uh, which will mean they have a capacity for a whopping eleven and a half million bottles by wow. the time they finish wow. that. So anyway, so relatively industrial, or at least very functional. Mm. Yeah, which is which, which is, is good. It's, it's fair enough, given yeah. Yeah. you know they need to be. They've got lots of wine coming in. They've got lots of wine going out. Yeah, um, they need to be efficient. And when they? you go inside, it is eye-opening. You know, it's it's wine stacked up right to the ceiling. So when I say ceilings, we're talking you know seventeen meters high, eight eight pallets high. You've got these amazing super modern forklifts which whiz around and then zoom up into the kind of clouds. No, they didn't get you one of those, did they? Because I did ask. I know your um, I did, your, I was your, your love of heights. I kind of asked just because I felt I had to ask to be to be macho, <laughs> and, and then I was incredibly glad when they said you're not allowed. No, if they no. said yes, I would I would have said, <laughs> oh no, I wasn't expecting to say. Anyway, you know, I mean, it is you know you need specialists working these things, yeah. and they go up and imagine you know being seventy meters up, and then you put your thing in, and then you hoik out an entire pallet of wine mm. and move it somewhere. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, I'd be absolutely terrified. Doing you, would, that. That, you would. That's one of like, you'd be deep sea diver in the Arctic would be your idea of the worst. Well, anything really job cold is the worst job. For me, I think heights, forklift, mm. vertiginous forklift driver. Mm. I, I would say, uh, or, or maybe window cleaning a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, uh, the, <laughs> the other thing that speaks to my mind, the, the more heartening thing for me walking around was, um, you know, you go into the warehouses, particularly Warehouse One, which is their oldest one, which I think was built in um, 
1965 or somewhere around then. Hmm. That's where they keep their members' private reserves. So you can store, you can buy wine through ah. the Mont Primo and, and store it there in its private reserves. Or right. I so you like can a, store like other a, things like in a, there too. Yeah, so a warehouse for, for your yeah, members. Yeah, but it's yeah. just for the, for wines that their wine members have bought and want to oh, store. Okay. It's just like being a kid in a sweetie shop. It's absolutely amazing. You've got the most famous, most delicious names, you know, First Growth Bordeaux, you've got Dominus, you've got, you know, Ridge. So got... this is interesting that, the, you know, absolutely. I think maybe people are not necessarily aware that that, that is something you could buy through the Wine Society as yeah, well. Yeah, you can do. Um, and anyway. then, then you've got their museum bin. Uh, where they keep sort of very special older vintages to serve to, to, to sort of VIPs, particularly visiting growers. Um, so the day I visited, they had a Chardonnay specialist from New Zealand, one of the top producers in Chardonnay in New Zealand visiting. And so they were serving him white burgundy to, mm. to make that comparison with what he does. with, with you know. so, so in a way, they're sort of helping educate the wine producers around the world, aren't mm. they? I mean, quite, quite, because quite often it is, it's really difficult to try the classics or wines from elsewhere if you're a grower in, I don't know, say Chile or wherever. Yeah, yeah. So that is, it's a really helpful, constructive thing to do, isn't it? It really is, actually. It's sort of underrated. But, you know, I, I did ask about this and they said to them that relationships matter and that their mission is to, and I do like this, to champion the joy of good wine. You know, of course, this could be PR speak, this is marketing, but at the same time, actually, yeah, no, this, this, I, I think yeah. the fact that they serve these lovely wines, they make but the effort to keep these wines and serve them. I was going to say, the, so the Wine Society own these wines. Yeah, this they're is not their, their members' wines. wines. No, 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 they're no, not they're pitching their members' wines. They own them, they yeah. buy them specific yeah. and lay them down specifically for this purpose. And a lot Lovely. of it is to do to share with growers. Yeah. And actually, that's, you know, it, it, it's almost certainly helping improve wine standards wine quality around the world yeah um because you know these guys don't often get to try these things and so to be able to do that to compare them they get might get back with a few new ideas you know and i suppose it also probably explains why the white society's producers are so loyal to them every time you come in you get some lovely wine yeah a drop of white burgundy can work wonders can't it it certainly <laughs> does with me anyway i'll remember that <laughs> moving on you you got to quiz a couple of the key members of the wine, yeah. wine society team didn't Absolutely. you tell so, us about that outside of lunch I sat down with Dom Deville, uh, who is the Wine Society's newly appointed Director of Sustainability and Social Impact, um, as well as Director of Wine, Pierre Mansour, who's been on the pod before, as mm-hmm. you'll remember. Um, now, I had lots of questions for both of them, but I started by grilling Dom, whose background is in sustainability rather than wine. So he's a specialist in the field. And on, actually, on that note, um, we, we did want to clarify one of the terms... Dom uses before we start, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. We discussed this, didn't we? We, we touch on right weighting without much context in the interview. Um, this is about reducing the weight of glass bottles so less carbon is emitted in transport. It's kind of a successor to the concept of light weighting. Uh, it's still about reducing weight, but in a sort of more measured, appropriate way for the wine and its safety in transport and consumption. Uh, anyway, I started by asking Dom Deville where this ambitious sustainability drive was coming from and how on earth they aim to achieve it. I think a lot of the drive has come from eight individuals in the business, but also a lot from our growers. We work in the agricultural space. Our growers are already experiencing climate change and have done for for 20 years in, in some cases. They see firsthand the problems of climate change in extreme weather um, fluctuations, drought, flooding, um, loss of biodiversity, um, and, and they're, they're experiencing it every day. Um, and so we know it's there and we know we've got to tackle it. Um, the UK government have said that all businesses by 2050 have to be net zero. 
Um, we have said 2040 because in the agricultural sector, we can and are expected to move faster than, say, the airline sector or the construction sector. I'm very interested to hear that you know, you're having feedback from your growers saying, look, this is an issue for us. How are we going to get ahead of the curve here? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, in terms of how we do it, um, we've got to take it in a step-by-step process. Yeah, so talk, so us, talk us through it then. Step one, we need data. We need to know where are our emissions coming from. So not only in our own business, but right the way through the supply chain. So how many emissions are coming from our shipping? How much is coming from the winery? How much is coming from the grape growing? How much is coming from the packaging? How much is coming from the last mile delivery? Those figures have now come out. So we have a sense of that. Can you give us a a brief sense of those pictures? I can, yes. But I want to caveat it by saying these are not the final verified numbers. These are our initial numbers. But about 94% um, of our emissions comes from our supply chain, um, which is not really surprising. Um, And that's broken down um, into about 55% of that is from the wine um, making and the wine packaging. Um, at 18 to 20% is the, is the logistics. So that's the shipping um, to our warehouses here in Stevenage and then the onward distribution to members' homes. Um, and then about 13% is um, for the goods and services, not for resale. So the other stuff that we buy. So, you know, our gardening services or our marketing materials or our IT equipment and IT services, for example. If you could put your finger on one specific element within that bigger picture of where you think, you know, is the biggest issue and, the, you know, the, 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 the fundamental chunk that you could work on to yeah. reduce, what would, that, what would that one thing be? The big one's uh, packaging. Packaging. That, that we can tackle here now today. What is um, specifically so, glass bottles packaged at source and yeah. sent over overseas? Is, is that what it is? Yeah, so glass um, accounts for around about 30%. Wow, so that's, um, that's massive. Ish. So it's a big number um, and it's a number that we know we can tackle. And, and so, well, we have to tackle it in a number of ways. Um, one is right weighting. Um, and I use right weighting deliberately because you, you can only light weight so far before the glass becomes unstable and breaks. And you don't want that happening because the product, the wine, um, it has much more carbon in it than the than the packaging in general. So you're wasting, you're wasting wine. So right weighting, um, alternative packaging formats, which we are moving into, uh, and then the the shipping, obviously. I mean, obviously, I think that it comes as no surprise that packaging is one of the key issues to address that that's been discussed, you know, in wine circles for a while now. It's just a question of how well to do that. And also bearing in mind that things like plastics even if they are designed to be recycled, can end up being single-use plastics. And of course, plastic pollution, while it doesn't maybe come into a, a, a carbon footprint audit, is, is another big issue facing the planet. Plastic is an interesting one. Um, it's been demonised in the press, um, but it's been demonised because of what we do with it, not so much because of 
what it is and mm. what it's made mm. from. Yeah. Um, actually, plastic um, in certain in the right application is the right material and actually is very good. Um, it can be recycled many times if you chemically um, recycle it. Um, I think it's more or less infinite. Um, it's quite low carbon. If you think about bag in box, for example, um, versus glass, the bag um, in box is about um, 70 grams of carbon and um, a glass bottle is about, well, a heavy glass bottle um, is about five or 600 grams of carbon. Mm. Where would a normal wine bottle come in at? Do you, do you um, so a normal wine bottle... Uh, uh, that's around 450 grams would be somewhere around 500 grams of, of carbon. Those aren't precise numbers, but some something around there. So plastic is a good material in the right application. What we need to be doing is um, actually recycling it. The UK needs to be sorting out its infrastructure to recycle it better. And we need to not be sending it abroad into countries where it gets put into the sea. Yeah, and this is the thing. To do that, you need an engaged uh, consumer base, don't you? So, for example, you would want, if you're switching to plastics, I imagine you would want to encourage your members to be able to, to properly recycle um, products of yours that were plastic. I mean, to what extent do you get a sense that your membership, your customers are engaged with this um effort initiative of yours how what sense do you get from from them for this big ambitious project that you're putting in place are they are they buying into it because presumably you need them to do that in order for this to be successful yeah absolutely we we can't do this without the support of our members um we need to engage them in things like our packaging trials because to be successful we need them to be doing the things that need to happen so we are looking at, at the moment, uh, launching a, a packaging trial um, for bag-in-box and for the plastic PET bottles, um, expanding our cans range, so having a bit more of an alternative packaging portfolio um, in the spring. We've gone for bag-in-box because um, the, the carbon savings, the water savings, the resource savings are quite high there. The problem, of course, with it is the bag is not recyclable at curbside, it needs to be sent to a specialist recycler. So nothing is perfect there. Um, the plastic PET bottle um, is fully recyclable um, and has a much lower carbon footprint than the uh, than an equivalent glass bottle. Um, but there's some work to do, I think, to get people to engage again with plastics because, again, it's being debanized. So it is made from 100% recycled content, um, it can be recycled over and over again, but I think there's a mindset change that we kind of have to overcome and we need to work with our members on that. That sounds quite serious because, you know, if you've got to effect a mindset change, that's, that's a big thing to achieve, uh, changing people's minds on, on, on this kind of subject, which it can be quite personal as well. People can have quite this, you know, wine is something that is fun and people want to, they don't want to worry about, they don't yeah. want to stress about. So... I mean, presumably that's something that you've got to work towards that's part of your plan to change people's minds on, on this. Yeah, I think, I, think for, I think to be successful in sustainability, we need to do three things. Um, one, we need to educate and build awareness 
on on the issues um, so that people kind of engage in these topics. Why are we doing this? What are the benefits? Um, what are the issues here? So just building that awareness. And if you think about what's happened in this country over the last five years, people are talking about sustainability more and more. They're talking about people during the pandemic. They're talking about climate change. You're talking about plastic recycling recycling so that is happening we need to encourage that um the second thing is we need to make doing the right thing easy because people want to buy sustainably they want to be sustainable but actually when it comes down to it they don't really want to go the extra mile to doing it so we need to make it easy for them so we need to work with our growers and producers um on sustainability of the wine, of the packaging. We need to do our job as the Wine Society on getting our own house in order here in Stevenage, reducing our emissions, working on waste here, so that when we put wine on the shelves, it's as sustainable as it can be across the board. Um, And so it's easy for members to, to buy sustainably. Um, and I think sustainability certifications have a role in that as well as markers. Um, and then the third thing is um, legislation, um, I think, which um, can really help. Businesses like nothing more than a, a level playing field where the rules of the game are set. Um, and if the government comes up with sensible legislation um, around for example, tax incentives for um, for uh, lower carbon packaging. Um, carbon tax has been mooted. I know there are issues around that, but that could be some that is something to look at. But I think legislation needs to play a role in it. Um, and at the moment, the only real legislation we've got is the government saying that by 2050, the country is committed to being carbon net zero. So what would you what would you call for? What would you right now? Would you call for a carbon tax, uh, or would you go for tax incentives? And if you went for tax incentives, what would they be? Yeah, so I think there are there are some things that are already happening. So we've got extended producer responsibility coming out on packaging in twenty twenty four. So what this is aiming to do is to uh, at the moment um, taxpayers cover the costs of recycling. Um, at curbside, it comes out of our, um, our our monthly tax bill from our local council. The government is saying, actually, no. Businesses produce that packaging; they should pay for the recovery and the recycling of it. So this is what extended producer responsibility is. It's kind of the producer pays principle. Mm-hmm. So you produce it, you pay to clear it up. Um, that's coming in in 2024, and that is going to massively increase the costs of compliance fees that businesses like the Wine Society, all retailers, all brands have to pay. Um, And it's going to increase it by five, six, seven times. We don't know. But it's going to make packaging going from being um, just the cost of doing business to actually a major cost center. So that's going to encourage us all to reduce our packaging because it's done by weight. Cost comes into everything. You're being very ambitious here. Do you have a figure for how much this uh, drive, this initiative, is going to cost the society? My view on this and the view that we're taking here is that um, sustainability done well 
should pay for itself over time. So yes, there will be some areas where we will need to invest upfront. So we are going from 20, we talk about solar panels, for example, at the moment, we uh, produce about 23% of our own electricity. Next year, that's going to go up to 55%. Or that's the plan at the moment. That requires an upfront investment in solar panels. So there are things like that that require upfront investment. Um, Packaging, for example, you know, the trials cost money to do they should pay for themselves over the long run because um, not only is it an environmental benefit but we will have to pay less as a business um, in uh, packaging recovery notes which is the government compliance schemes for example and then if you think about outside of the wine society uh, and our own operations and then you think about um, the growers uh, and producers for example Uh, and the conversations we're having with them, well, again, in the long run, these more sustainable approaches should pay dividends. Um, If you think about um, uh, reducing water, finding ways to reduce water on site, again, moving into renewable energy, um, some of the farming practices that we talk about in sustainability that are more regenerative, are less interventionalist, require less chemicals, um, less cost of inputs, um, you can become more resilient to the effects of, of climate change through these practices. So this should pay off in the long run. But whether or not it pays off in the long run, you know, you're still allocating a cost to it, aren't you? You're, you're director of sustainability. What's, what's your budget? What, what, are you, what are you saying, this is what we need to invest in, let's say, the next 5, 10, you know, even before 2040, yeah, so I think I think we are thinking that we would invest somewhere around five hundred thousand a year in sustainability. So some of that would go into um, our own operations, um, but one of the a big part of our approach is supporting and working with our growers and producers. Um, so if we go back to this kind of idea of um, our plan is we need to reduce our carbon emissions, but the second two. We need to help our growers to adapt to climate change. And the third one is we need to um, do what we can to improve carbon sequestration in our our supply chain. Those things are going to require investment. So to help growers adapt, we're saying that we we want to set up a supplier forum, um, which will be a, uh, a mechanism for our growers and producers to talk to each other, share information on the challenges they're facing around climate change, learn from each other. We've been talking about um, can we set up a similar system to the one that they have in Bordeaux, where um, we hire a consultant, climate change consultant for 20 growers, let's say, that goes around and helps advise, share lessons from others on how to adapt to some of the effects of of climate change. Can we invest in research? Um, uh, And then when we're talking about the sequestration, um, we've talked about this idea of insetting that we want to start doing from 2024. Yeah, this is very interesting. I wanted to ask you, because obviously we're very familiar with the concept of offsetting. Yes. Sometimes we've all you know had a flight and then we've offset it and felt better about ourselves what's insetting insetting is where you take your carbon emissions 
And rather than paying into offsetting schemes to offset your emissions as you're working to reduce them, um, you use that money and you invest it in your own supply chain in nature-based solutions um, that sequester carbon from the atmosphere. I see. So you are, I mean, offsetting and setting, you're doing the same sort of thing. You're, you're trying to work to invest to uh, balance the books, as it were, somehow. Yes. And you're looking to do that in the vineyards, is that right? Yes. So the, the, the priority here is carbon reduction, is reducing your own emissions, right? right? So you've got to yes. have a very strong plan in place to reduce your emissions. Mm. And that plan is what we're developing at the yep. moment. And we will submit our reduction targets to the SBTI, which is a science-based mm-hmm. targets initiative for, for sort of formal accreditation on that. So reduction is key. But as we are reducing, we will still be emitting carbon. So what can we do in the meantime to offset that? We can put a carbon price on our emissions. So let's say um, in, our, in our direct operations, we are emitting 2,000 tonnes of carbon per year. We pick a carbon price, let's say that's £40 per tonne, um, which is higher than we would need to pay. Um, we multiply that by 2,000. We come up with a with a pound figure and we use the, that money and invest it in our vineyards, in our own supply chain. And that could be in cork forests, woodlands, wetlands, hedgerows. It could be about um, uh, ways to change farming practices that sequester more carbon into the soil. The point being is your trying to draw down your carbon from, from the atmosphere into nature. We've got this problem across the world that we are losing biodiversity at the rate of knots. Um, you know, you think about the Amazon rainforest, you think about, you know, you drive the car, your car through the countryside, you don't get bugs on the window anymore. So biodiversity is insects, bees, birds, um, hedgerows, trees, anything that's natural, this natural ecosystem, um, it's disappearing. um, And so those things are not drawing the the, the carbon out of the atmosphere anymore because they're they're not there. Um, The soil health is degrading because we're using a lot of chemicals on it. And soil actually is a massive carbon sink, has the potential to be a massive carbon sink. So our idea through insetting is... Can we play a small part in trying to reverse that, slow it down? And it it is only a small part. So it's investing some of the funds that we have in projects that will improve soil health, improve biodiversity, whether that's um, hedgerows, woodlands, wetlands, birds, bees, whatever it might be. um, So you have a more healthy ecosystem that is increasing the sequestration levels of that vineyard. Okay. And wine's a funny one, isn't it? Because you think of the idyllic image of the vineyard growing in the sun and you think, actually, that should be sequestering a lot of carbon and, and we should be doing the right thing there. But obviously then, you know, as soon as you start fermenting, releasing CO2, it's then a heavy product to ship around the world um, and to distribute. So it's, I have heard wine called the villain in the piece uh, by uh, Rob Balin, actually, on our program when he was talking about talking at COP26 alongside an, an oil industry magnet. What do you, what do you think about that? I I think all um, businesses are contributing to climate change. 
Um, I don't know that wine is any more of a villain than anybody else. Um, it's just a fact of life at the moment that if you run a business, you will be in some way contributing to climate change. The, the key thing is, are you doing something about it? Do you have a, have you measured your emissions? Have you set reduction targets? Have you had them certified by an external body? Do you have a plan in place that is um, going to enable you to meet those targets? And I think if you're doing that, then you're on the right track. Not many companies and not many wine companies have been and are being as ambitious as you are with this. I mean, are you seeing lots of other people in the wine world doing this kind of thing, doing what you're doing? So outside of wine, um, I think there is a lot of talk about this from brands and retailers. Um, I think the action is still catching up with the talk, if I may put it like that. Well, that's a very diplomatic way of, of putting um, it. Um, do you think particularly in the wine industry, people need to do more? And I think in the wine industry, what I personally have seen is that the growers, a lot of the growers are doing really good stuff. And that's where things are happening at the moment. And that's really, really encouraging to see. And and I, I think that comes from um, the fact that growers are already experiencing climate change and they know they need to do something about it. Um, but, you know, we're seeing the likes of Camel Valley, for example, in Cornwall, who are already carbon negative in that they are sequestering more carbon than they are emitting. Um, you've got the likes of Villiera in South Africa who are planting 100,000 trees to sequester carbon. So some really good stories of people out there who are doing things. And I think, you know, going back to one of your original questions about, well, will everybody want to do this? Well, no. I mean, I'm sure not everybody will want to um work on all of these things i think um we need to get the majority moving um and in a lot of vineyards there are unproductive spaces that can be used for sequestration um i think it's about um education incentives uh, providing investment mm. and and help to do that and perhaps looking beyond sustainability slightly you you know your yours is a newly created role you know director of sustainability and social impact uh, you say you are aiming to be, the wine society is aiming to be the most sustainable and ethical wine retailer in the world. This goes beyond just sustainability, doesn't it? And, and how? Yeah, this is a really bold ambition that we've it is, it's, it's set a, It's a bold statement, isn't it? It's a really bold statement we've set ourselves. Um, yeah, sometimes I can't quite believe we managed to, uh, to, to get everyone to sign up to it. Are you feeling the pressure? Um, but, but this is a really, really important one. Um, you know, when you think about, um, so you've got, we've said we are going to have the, the most in wine, environmentally sustainable and ethical supply chain. So we always need to remember we need to talk about the ethical side of things as well, the people side of it. And that's something coming into wine that I have seen much less conversation about um, actually than I have done in, in other sectors. Um, there are issues around people in in wine, um, uh, just as there are in all agricultural products, um, particularly around harvest time migrant labour, working conditions, um, pay, 
exploitation, um, these kinds of things. So they need to be looked at and tackled as well. Um, wine has not had an expose or a scandal um, around these things yet, and I, and I think it's only a matter of time. And so I think we need to, um, yeah, it's an area we really need to work on. Um, you're also developing a new diversity, equality, equity, sorry, and inclusion policy. Wine historically has not been a very inclusive space. Tell us about that and, and the scale of the challenge there. Yeah, again, big challenge. Um, and this is uh, something, and I probably say this too many times, that we need to work on ourselves here as the Wine Society um, get our uh, uh, own house in order and I keep saying that over and over again but it's true um, this is about bringing um, people from different backgrounds different beliefs different experiences um, into the world of wine so that's working in the wine society um, and it's and it's working in vineyards and, and making wine um, I think that wine traditionally is not particularly diverse and i think there's a there's a really important job to do to there to en encourage people in so we are setting up um, a mentoring scheme um, which will bring people from lower socioeconomic status disadvantaged people into into our business um, each year um, we're going to be doing tr offering training and those people as well. And then, of course, we're also looking at our recruitment, hiring practices, um, and how we ourselves become a more inclusive organisation to encourage people from different backgrounds to come into wine. Tom, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. Thank you. Wow, lots to ponder there. Um, I mean, it, it does sound like a business contemplating some pretty big changes. Yeah, yeah, on many fronts. Uh, but of course, first they have to quantify things before they can find out how to develop the plan. Um, and some things can, can also make good business sense, irrespective of the sustainability angle. I think it's important to mention it. Mm. You know, he mentioned solar power, for example, which is going from supplying 23% uh, to 55% of their electricity needs with the new solar array on top of the new warehouse. Yeah. Now, that new solar array is costing about £400,000, which is a big investment. Yeah. But Dom also mentioned that their current energy bills were potentially being hiked by five to six times at the moment. This is something people are seeing all over the UK, that they're going from around £180,000 to nearly a million quid. That's no one hike way. this year. So, wow. you know, that investment in renewables, yeah. which they control, actually makes sense from a purely financial perspective Absolutely. as well, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately, yeah, you're, you're going to be you know, making your money back, aren't you? It, mm. I mean, gosh, it's been such a tough year for businesses, hasn't it? Um, yeah. Just so many costs increasing. It really has. It really has. You know, so Steve Finland, the CEO uh, who we heard from earlier, described it as a, an unstoppable headwind this mm. year against mm. businesses. You know, he said their basic costs, which they've had to swallow, of course, you know, have gone up about four to five million over the course of the year. Between four and five million. Yeah, that's just that's just the rate. So dry goods like bottles are in very short supply. Apparently, I didn't know, didn't know you knew, knew this, but I didn't. One of the biggest glass suppliers is in the Ukraine. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, yeah. they, they supply so many things. That yeah. country we never yeah. knew about, well, which it's we a big do country. obviously now. Um, and the price of glass has gone up 30 to 40%, apparently. Mm. Um, Dom also mentioned the new packaging recovery and recycling schemes in the, in the interview, which are coming in, which uh, is another cost for the business. But... 
obviously on top of that, you've got rampant inflation. I mean, yeah. so many of these things are... So, so on the business. one hand, you might think it's the worst time to have to drive a sustainability agenda as well. Yeah. But it seems that this can actually benefit businesses as well as future-proofing yeah, exactly. them. So exactly. you've got... In- Good as well. Yes. I think I think that's how some businesses are seeing it increasingly. And the Wine Society is a good example of that. It's not always easy. You know, tends to be a series of trade-offs rather than easy wins. Uh, I remember Dom saying um, something along the lines of there's no right or wrong in sustainability. You just got slightly better and slightly worse. And you have to be really thoughtful about every action you're taking. Mm. What about vans and delivery? I mean, that's often yeah. a very kind of visible form of impact, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we did touch on this. Um, they've calculated that 20% of their carbon emissions are from logistics, of which 60% is accounted for by transport to their HQ in Stevenage, getting the wines, you know, from around the world to their to HQ them. in Stevenage. And then 40% is in deliveries from Stevenage to their customers. Think 40, right. 40% for the last few miles. That, yeah. I mean, that sounds that sounds a lot. I mean, given they've got wine coming in, like you say, from yeah. all over the world, no, no, you, it's the bit from them to the customer. You know I completely agree. Um, Crikey, yeah. But f- 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 from what I hear, that is actually often the case. There's these sort of last mile things to, to do add up, you know. So... Uh, the Wine City work with DHL, uh, who are apparently making good progress on the sustainability front, but uh, they're also planning to convert their own fleet of vans to electric by 2028. Um, but of course, it's difficult with wine, which is heavy, you know, mm. and it may need delivering to remote or rural areas where there isn't much infrastructure for electric charging, for example. But I suppose right waiting or light waiting mm. or converting to bag in box or alternative yeah. packaging, that's that's definitely going to help with this, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it should, shouldn't it? Um yeah. Which should certainly make it slowly, maybe. you know, less heavy. Yeah, I mean, it, it all. I suppose with these sort of things, you need lots of different things to change to mm. make an overall bigger difference. I don't know, but you know, I think we also need investment in better infrastructure. That's true, and that has to be a role for government yeah. to, 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 you know, to do that. But just to touch on on weight and right weighting, one interesting thing that Dom uh, mentioned as well was that the Wine Society are part of a sustainable wine roundtable and have funded research along with fellow retailers like System Belaget, the Swedish alcohol monopoly, and Waitrose to come up with what are the ideal bottle weights for still and sparkling and to see if retailers can align behind those weights and over time enforce them. Enforce them? Yeah. Mm, Interesting, interesting. isn't it? Interesting, yeah, mm. yeah. But, I mean, good to hear people trying to force through change. You know, yeah. heavy bottles can be just so damaging to the environment. Oh, um, but it. it can be hard for producers to change. You know, as we heard mm. from Professor Charles Spence, people associate mm. weight with quality when it comes to wine. Yeah, um, and that's... Yeah. A hard association to break unless we have a concerted effort from everyone in a in a fairer, more level playing field. No, that's that's true. It's interesting. You know, um, you'd also hope on the flip side there'd be an extra incentive to buy wine if it is more sustainably packaged, and, and people can shout about that. Mm. Um, and you know that that yes, it runs counter to this sort of seemingly automatic association of weight with quality. But it, yeah. I wonder if those things might counterbalance. They might. Know. They might. But, but you're absolutely right to mention Charles Spence. And that episode was um, the magical science of taste, which uh, which was series three, episode fifteen. Mm. Well worth a listen. Now you also talked to Pierre, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. So Dom and I were joined by Pierre Mansour, uh, the Wine Society's director of wine. So I wanted to ask him a bit more about the wine side of things, and uh, and I started by questioning him as to whether they're buying strategy has changed because of their sustainability drive hasn't changed but what has changed is our buyers are now 
even more aware of of the principles around sustainability. So our buyers get the opportunity to travel a lot. Um, we think that is the best way to unlocking tasty wines um, and unlocking new and different, um, quite sort of progressive wines. So our buyers have been spending times in vin- a lot of time in vineyards. They hear about the challenges around climate change um, and so on. But what our strategy has done by bringing someone like Dom in, who is not of a wine background, but very much of sustainability background and experience and knowledge, that has helped, I guess, inform the buyers to actually the sorts of questions to ask and actually to have it in your brief as a buyer when you go out quality, price, but also sustainability. And that expands to beyond just the environment, environmental element of sustainability. Also, the sort of ethical or social element is also a a key area that we are exploring. How many growers do you work with now? Lots. Yeah. So we work with just short of about a thousand different wine suppliers. A thousand suppliers. And that is... Dom, I can see that's, that's making you smile as well. I mean, that's a very broad supplier base to have to bring on board with all of this. It is... Across a, a number of cultures. Yep. You're <laughs> right. And... It's, um, yeah, it is. Um, number one, it's a big number. Um, and and I, I suspect that if you compared um, that with, say, one of the high street supermarkets, they might work with... I don't even think they'd work with a tenth of that number um, in terms of wine suppliers. Um, the other challenge, yes, Peter, as you've, as you've pointed out, is every wine region, country, has different social, cultural um, elements um, which come through in how you trade with them. There are different trading styles. Um, so bringing them on board, yeah, is a is a is a really big challenge. But if you, if you the, had an instinct uh, as to which region might be most difficult in this in this sense, where would you say? So if you'd asked me if you'd asked me about a year ago, I'd have said France. Okay. Um, um, but that's changed, and that's changed because the 2021 vintage was a vintage that Mother Nature threw absolutely everything at French vignerons right across France. Um, and so um, I think the that really woke up the French to um, climate change really is happening. You know, they had they had rot, they had frost, at, they had significant frost at spring. They had rot through um, late spring. They had rot again um, late or uh, early autumn, um, and meant that it was one of the smallest vintages um, in terms of yield. So that has a direct implication on. On revenue, mm. and of course, this year we've had the wildfires near Bordeaux, which have which have been unprecedented, uh, absolutely, and, and impacted yeah. them hugely. So, um, so, so I think um, um, it would have been France, um, but but the French now are really on board, and and actually, as we investigate a bit more deeply in France, um, one of the great things France is doing is looking at sustainability through a lens of um, of this holistic lens as opposed to organic. So organic is important, but it's not the answer to sustainability. 
Um, and, and the French are really open to the more holistic element of actually sustainability. Yes, organic can help. You've got to concentrate on your vineyards. You've got to concentrate on soil health, water use, energy use. Um, but it's wider than that. Actually, how do you employ your staff? Um, what sort of conditions do they work in? What sort of prices are you paying if you're a if you're a brand that's buying in grapes and and so on and so forth? So, I think the French are going to um, surprise us and surprise me. I think they're going to turn it around really quickly. That's really interesting. And you mentioned organic uh, wine there. Um, we've talked about costs quite a bit already. You are going to be investing as a business in this, in, in, in being sustainable and investing in your producers to be sustainable. Can consumers, we people who buy the wine, are we going to expect prices to go up for the wine because of all of this drive to be sustainable? Um, no, I don't think so, actually. Um, I, I think for a business like mm-hmm. ours, it will be an initial investment, but over time that should that should pay us as a business um, back. So... Um, no, I think what I think what will what consumers will get out of it over the long term is just even better quality wine. I think that is, you know, we our customers, our members, um, absolutely, you know, what makes them smile with wine is buying a bottle of wine that has personality, a sense of place, and actually, in order to continue that and even to express that even more vividly. Um, Looking after the climate, looking after your vineyard um, will mean that your vineyard, your vines are more resilient and will have, you know, what we want to have is a wine society that exists in another 150 years. We're about to celebrate 150 years um, in, in 2024. And that's what that's what we want. And that actually when we when I started working with Dom on this a few years ago, when we were developing the, the, the strategy, um, that was the thing that I think the penny dropping moment for me was actually um, I won't be around in 150 years, but I really hope the wine site is and I really hope there are still terroir um, wines that, ref, that, rep, that, that, that express a sense of place. They still exist. I think it might change, but there will still be a sense of place change in terms of where that wine is grown but perhaps where the wine's grown how it's grown what great varieties are used bordeaux has just um quite recently um approved some um varieties from spain and from portugal as sort of experimental varieties to be grown in bordeaux um and that's with a view to um to uh, global warming and what varieties will be suitable to grow in Bordeaux in 20 or 30 years' time. So it's already happening. This sort of, the adjustments, you know, a, an, a great traditional wine region like Bordeaux are saying, hmm, we need to, we need to start thinking about the future. So Tariga Nacional, that might have a future in Bordeaux. Um, um, so yeah, so it might be that the style of Bordeaux wine is different in 50 years, but how exciting is that? Now you're aiming, as far as I understand, for your own label wines to have a sustainability scorecard yes. by 2024. What will that look like? So what that will look like um, is it will give our members um, a very simple and clear indication of the 
environmental and social impact um, of that specific wine. Um, so it will need to be a very simple, um, a very simple sort of flag, whether it's a, you know, a traffic light system of sort of green, amber, red. Um, so that's how I see it working. It then gives our members the choice of, you know, if you're a member that actually is more concerned about sustainability over a, what particular wine they choose, they might go for the ambers or the greens. Um, in terms of the data that supports that, we don't have the answer yet. That's what we're working on um, next year is coming up with the set of criteria that will then inform the overall score. So that's actually a really significant piece of work and a really important piece of work. I mean, and you're aiming for for net zero by 2040. Presumably by that stage, scorecards will be redundant because all of the wines will be scoring a perfect score. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the long-term goal with this is that we get to a point, let's say within the next 10 years, um, where every wine we sell or, or most wine we sell you know is what we would consider Definitely. sustainable mm. actually uh, socially and environmentally sustainable and um, that's where we're trying to get to so these when we talk about a scorecard when we talk talk about starting with a sustainable range of wines we're actually you know these are the steps to getting the point to the point where our members can just go on our website, buy a wine and not have to think about is this sustainable or isn't this sustainable. They shouldn't have to do any more work than just buying the wines that they want to buy. So on, on the own label, the other thing just to mention, whilst we're developing our criteria next year, we are um, uh, the beginning of next year, we'll, we are relaunching our own label wines with sort of new new labels and and so on and part of that process um, we have taken the decision to um, any wine that's bottled under a closure that isn't screw cap having will have no capsules because capsules um, in our view are they're they're, they're irrelevant yeah. they have no impact on quality they have no impact on shelf life Yes, they can make the bottle look nicer. So our our designers have found that a bit of a challenge because they're looking at our new sort of packaging with bottles without capsules. But we feel, you know, it's excessive. It's it's unnecessary. Um, And the second thing that we've done is we've um, used this opportunity to go to all of our own label uh, growers um, and... um, um, and insist on reducing where we've got bottles that are heavy bottles, um, reducing those down um, to lighter bottles. Uh, what's really interesting is that some of the appellations, um, official appellations in, in Europe, actually within their rules, they have a specific bottle shape that is also has a specific bottle weight. So some of those, we can't actually have light bottles. So one great example yeah. is Chateau Neuf du Pape, where you have the embossed glass 
Pick Paul de Pinay as well. No, yeah, really, and, and it's not just it's yeah. not just France yeah. in places like Spain, like Rioja again, less so with bottle weights. Mm. But if yeah. we were to entertain, say, bulk shipping, yeah, from Rioja, you can't, you can't, you have to have every bottle of Rioja that is sold in the UK or sold anywhere has to be bottled in Rioja. In, and that's part of the appellation rules. Part of the appellation rules. Do you think that needs to change? Yes. You're about to celebrate your 150th anniversary in 2024. Congratulations in advance. How do you envisage the wine society being in another 150 years time? What will have changed apart from the styles of the wine? I th- so I think that I think the way people drink will have changed. It's already changing. I think tastes constantly evolve. So um, I, I think there'll be. Even more, I mean, we're already in a world where the information available to consumers of any product is so much more transparent than it was 10 years ago. Um, I suspect that in 150 years, you know, at a, at, you, I don't know, you'd press a button or you'd even just think about whatever it was that you were drinking and it would tell you all the information around that. Um I suspect something like glass might not be around anymore um, in 150 years, hopefully sooner, because we see that as quite, I mean, that has a real high proportion of carbon footprint for any wine business. Um, So perhaps the way that wines are sold, the way that wines are served will will change. Um, Don, what would you add? The the big step is decarbonisation, you know, that we are growing, making, transporting, packaging our wines in uh, in a way that we are um, not taking more from the world than we are putting back in. I think that has to happen because that's not how we live at the moment. We use something like three or four planets worth of resources and we only have one planet. So for that planet to survive, we have to we have to change that whole system of, of resource use. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing that I, I hope will change and and is is already starting to change are around the, the the farming practices. It's quite extractive at the moment. It's quite commercial. Um, again, it's about taking more from the land than we put back in, and I think that has to change in, in how we farm. Um, and that's not just for wine, that's for all agricultural products. But in 150 years time, we might be growing wine in a, in a, in a, in a greenhouse in space. Um, well, I was going to say, I was, yes. I was waiting for when you were going to announce your next branch on Mars. <laughs> yeah. uh, you yeah. haven't done that yet, so I'll stop you there. Um, Pierre, Dom, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Peter. Thank Base wine. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Quite. <laughs> this planet's quite nice, isn't it? So it would be good to be able to stay here and enjoy our terrestrial wine, you know, on our own planet rather than going to Mars with Elon Musk. I know where I'd rather be. Uh, but in order to do that, it's, you know, it's quite clear things need to change. And again, you know, the wine study is a business that's changing. Um, Pierre did actually say uh, if there's a business that has the opportunity to invest effort and money into sustainability, it's the wine society um, because of their membership structure, you know, as we, mm. as we talked about before. And I suppose it goes back to what uh, CEO Steve Finland said at the start of this show. 
wine is changing, the world mm. is changing, and so they need to change too. Yeah, yeah. Pierre said that, you know, interesting, their, their goals or sort of key parameters when it comes to buying wine or listing a wine have always been quality and value. But now that's evolved to include sustainability. So that's in the mix. So it's and new, new Not thing. just environmental, but also social and economic sustainability. I suppose it's always been in the background, but now it's much yeah, more much to the forefront. And, important. you know, he said that doesn't conflict at all with their growers because most of them are small, medium-sized, often family-run, so naturally kind of geared towards ensuring survival for future generations anyway. Yeah, so, so insetting is an interesting one, mm, isn't it? Yeah. Basically using vineyards as a way to sequester carbon and help yeah. tackle biodiversity loss, Mm. um, rather than just offsetting by, as we mentioned before, planting trees, who knows where. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it makes sense for for the wine business to to do that. It helps producers, helps reduce the impact of the wider sector. I suppose it's like sweating your assets in a way, in a good way, you know. Sweating your assets, (laughs) liking that. I'm sweating at all, really. Uh, well, yes. Um, you know, and, and water, water. Talking about sweating, uh, water is 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 another big issue. I know they're working on too. So you know, it, it all makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. And and talking of producers, we have tasted a couple of bottles, haven't we, from the wine society that tie mm. in with this sustainability theme, and we've got them here now. Of course, we have. Um, and the first one to highlight is the Lubanzi Chenin Blanc 2021 mm. from Swartland yeah. in South Africa, yeah. and the interesting thing about this one which um we need to tell you because you can't obviously see is that it comes in a can it's um it's 395 for 250 mils uh, and it's lovely it's rounded succulent but also refreshing lots of waxy apple and peachy flavors uh, a little bit honeyed and yeah spot on um just easygoing and very satisfying it is now now this is a b corp firm it's fair trade carbon neutral they're a member of one percent for the planet uh they've also partnered with the pebbles project which is a fantastic non-profit focused on south african wine which i visited not too long ago you know this is about as virtuous as wine can get <laughs> isn't it you feel you feel good drinking it very good very good <laughs> and you know cans are obviously much less heavy than bottles to ship you got that as well um interesting from our discussions with the wine society it's clear that they want to sell more and more cans um as well of course as bag and boxes and maybe PET plastic bottles but cans are really on their agenda Ah. and they've interesting they've noticed that South Africa is ahead of the game when it comes to cans Um, and you know so we may well see more from them on this that's interesting because we we've had I mean we've had a few when I think back yeah South African canned wines and we had we had delicious one didn't we um the the one that we included in last year's wine of the year show the Banks Brothers Chardonnay made by Newton Johnson Mm. which was sensational um but but yeah I mean that that's interesting it does thinking back yes Mm. quite a few have come from South Africa um so it does seem to be a bit of a hot spot for that Um, Um, Yeah, it does. It really does. Anyway, moving on, though, our next wine is from New Mm. Zealand and is the Dog Point Chardonnay Mm. 2019 from Marlborough. Uh, Not cheap at $22.50, but I'd still say good value and fabulous wine. It's just sensational. You know, we we are huge fans of Dog Point as as as. You listeners may well know. If you um, compare that to the cost of, you know, white Burgundy, it's exactly. It's you know, the Chardonnay really is that classic, toasty, nutty, you know, reductive style with struck match curry leaf notes. It's it's sort mm. of savoury and complex. It's just really kind of erudite wine. It's, it's oh, sort of fireside you wine. You, you know, um, maybe a touch less powerful, more elegant in this vintage. I think slightly, yes, um, yeah. Than but, we've had but still before. gorgeous. This yeah. is the. 
2019. Yeah, yeah. 2019. Um, but, but also, you know, to carry on our theme, they're also very committed to sustainability, aren't they? They're organic and they, are. they put a big emphasis on, on biodiversity uh, with lots of land devoted to pasture, uh, ponds, native plantings, you know. Mm. Um, they've got chickens and bees. Have they indeed? They don't put um, them in the wine, as far as I know. <laughs> um, well, either way, it's delicious. Um, <laughs> and so then our, our last wine is an unassuming red. Um, mm. I would say unassuming, yeah. yeah. We had an erudite white. I think ah. it's an unassuming red. Nice. Um, it's the Tablas Creek a Patalan. I think you say Patalan, do you? Mm. Patalan de Tablas, mm. 2018 from Paso mm. Robles in California. It's mm. a, a Rhone blend, as you might expect, mm. of a company co-founded by the Perrin family of Chateau de Beaucastel. Uh, and it includes... Uh, Syrah, Grenache, Mourvedre, Cunoise and Terret Noir. Um, it's elegant, isn't it? Mm. Quite restrained. It's got some red fruit. It's a little bit peppery, meaty. Mm. It really, I like this. It, was, it wasn't It was shouty, but it was yeah. just very drinkable yeah. and £20. Unassuming. Just, just, just sort of, yeah, just gently complex and hmm. really interesting. I mean, so, so they, Tablas Creek became the United States' first regenerative organic certified vineyard in 2020. Um, they're biodynamic, they've got sheep and alpacas. Um, now, this wine is, is actually sourced from growers, so it's not part of that estate, so it doesn't sort of form part of that, but they are encouraging their growers to go organic. Um, and they've also interestingly started doing bagging boxes, I saw, uh, mm. which is a big step for a quality producer in the US. Yeah. Um, so they're doing really good work. They're yeah. vocal about sustainability uh, on the US wine scene, and that's great to see. Well, if sustainability can be this tasty, I am on board. Um, so to oh, recap, yeah. um, ambitious sustainability goals are really mm. important in wine, perhaps even more so than for other sectors. Um, the Wine Society is committing to serious targets, uh, including being carbon neutral by 2024 and net zero by 2040, partly by using vineyards and growers to inset carbon emissions, but also by things like changing packaging, using solar power, switching to electric delivery vehicles. Yeah, I mean, that they're showing how it can be done and why wine needs to make this happen to take a lead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an intriguing story. No doubt we'll drop back in on uh, at some stage in the near future. Meantime, if you're still thirsty for more content, then do check out our extensive back catalogue, all of which is totally pristine and relevant today. Nothing goes past its sell-by date on Wine Blast, does it? Of course not. No. Only us. Evergreen. <laughs> we We're do. well past we our sell-by date, We're slowly we? sinking into our chairs. <laughs> Uh, now, we mentioned a few shows in this episode, but if not, you could start with us getting messy, trying to find a wine to go with the ultimate umami bomb burger in our last episode. Can that we just have a great. moment's pause oh, to celebrate that? I mean, have we recovered not really. mentally or physically from oh, that yet, from that dreamy. ultimate burger? Oh. <laughs> Got to check that one out and try uh, it. Or you could catch up with our wines of the year. There's, I don't know, there's just lots of fun things to explore. There are indeed, there are indeed. And if you're feeling charitable, please do leave us a nice rating and review. It costs you nothing um, and we very much appreciate it. Our thanks to Dom Deville, Pierre Mansour, Steve Finlan and the Wine Society. And of course, thanks to you for listening and supporting. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.